1: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com
2: slash partners in crime media.
0: This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Tiffany. Tiffany. What the the hell is wrong with me? (laughs) This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Tiffany Griffin of Groton, Connecticut. Tiffany will get a marathon decal showing she watched (laughs) (laughs) 22.6. Boy, it's going to be a long day. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Tiffany Griffin of Groton, Connecticut. Tiffany will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com.
2: I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Mark Blankenship. And these are their stories. You think you
1: know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and Order, Law and Order, Law and Order. It's no ordinary
2: Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 11, Episode 8. Finn Ice.
1: So we think these kids killed the coach because they weren't getting enough playing time.
0: Hey, an NBA player chokes his coach, NHL player hits a guy in the head with a stick. How long before the kids do it?
2: Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On at Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast's Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hi,
3: Kevin. Thanks for having me on the program.
2: I love having you on the program. It keeps you from complaining at dinner time that I (laughs) got rid of you. Rounding out the panel is our special returning guest from the podcast, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. It's Mark Blankenship. Welcome
4: back, Mark. Oh, it is a pleasure to return. Thank you very much for having me. You've got a new project around songs. Tell us about that. I do. There is a newsletter that I've launched called The Lost Songs Project, in which I am Recovering top ten hits that have fewer than 10 million streams on Spotify. I'm writing about what makes them great, what made them popular at the time, and increasingly I am interviewing the artists who made those songs. And you can find that at lostsongs.substack.com. If you like music, I hope you'll join me there. Give me an example of a song. I've done everything for you by Rick Springfield, his follow-up single to Jesse's Girl. Uh-huh. Rocks just as hard, unexpectedly written by Sammy Hagar. And uh, <laughs> I dove into the fact that Rick Springfield is now kind of an honorary member of Van Halen. Who would have thought?
3: Huh. Who would have thought?
2: Amazing.
4: So, Mark, the mothership is back. Uh, they've been trying
2: to soften the corners on lead detective Frank Cosgrove. He, he was more ambiguous on his views of modern policing last season. But this year, he's kind of indicating he doesn't agree with racial profiling. And more problematic treatment, although he's still sort of old school cop. I like Jeffrey Donovan, the actor, a lot. I think he's got a lot of charisma. He could be a good Briscoe type character. But it doesn't matter if we don't like the actual character, right?
4: No, I actually think that Law & Order original flavor is at its best when there is friction in the relationships Mm -hmm. and friction between us and the characters because that makes it feel like the show is engaging with complicated ideas more than it's just Soothing our need for true uh, for crime based entertainment.
3: I really like his new partner though.
4: Who's that? Jalen Shaw. <laughs> yes. Why do you like him?
3: He's
2: gorgeous. He's huge. He's a monster.
3: <laughs> so embarrassing, but that is why I like him.
4: You like him. And honestly, he's been beautiful since he played a character named Eggs on True Blood. And any <laughs> opportunity I get to see this man on my screen is an opportunity I will take, regardless of the show, the medium, the story, the time of day, what
5: have you.
3: I do follow Makad Brooks on Instagram. So It's
5: a, so lot, of, do I. It's a yeah. lot. It's a
3: lot of beefcake on his Instagram. It's a lot of him standing around in clothes in front of like things. Standing around in clothes. <laughs> <laughs> standing
4: around in clothes. Oh, that's a shame.
3: No, he knows he looks good in clothes. I'm just going to put it like that. Yeah. He Mm. knows it. (laughs)
2: Uh, So with all this this stuff scrambled, I'll ask Mark again, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team?
1: Favorite law and order detective
4: team. I just love Briscoe, uh, obviously, because I'm a human being, but I love (laughs) Ray Curtis's sort of stern pull up the butt moralizing and the way that that gets chipped away and how Lenny refuses to let him intimidate him. And he's, I I just, I I love their dynamics so much. And, um, you know, at the end they have a gruff affection for each other and I'm always here for that.
3: Did you see a shift as I did, uh, between Curtis's character before and after he started dating Julia Roberts in real life? Uh, well, you know,
4: I feel like it's, that whole episode with Julia Roberts, where he cheats on his wife for the second time, because the first time he cheats on her was with Jennifer Garner, yeah. if you remember.
2: Wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject. He did not. That character, he, he
5: did not he cheat. close. I love my wife more than my own life. I betrayed her trust once, just once, but with her love and with God's help. Your Honor, would you direct the witness to answer the question? I haven't been unfaithful to her since. <laughs> he
2: let Julia... Robert's character take a shower and he walked away he didn't
4: oh okay well he definitely cheated on his wife with Jennifer Garner yeah after the execution at the end of season six but then you're right the Empire episode with Julia fine ambiguous but yes Rebecca I do think that he changed whether or not it's because of that relationship I don't know but he certainly went into a dark night of the soul with regard Mm -hmm. to his own moral center which made him very interesting I mm-hmm. thought, and Mark, who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite line order, district attorney, prosecutorial team. That would be Jack McCoy, certainly, and I'm going to say honestly, Abby Carmichael, because mm-hmm. I think that she is just flinty and fabulous. So clearly, season nine is my uh, all time peak because all of these people are on there. But I have just always loved the scene where Jack brings back lunch for them, and he says. I don't know what you like to eat. I got ribs and salad. And without missing a beat, Abby says, great, I'll eat you graze and hands him the salad. And he's so so flustered by that. And I just love that she can do that because Jack at that point is so used to being a bit of a Lothario. He's the bad boy on the motorcycle. He's got cool nephews who play video games, but Abby doesn't care. And I love that. Angie Harmon said she'd be open
2: to a return. A guest appearance on the new Law & Order, Uh, and it's not because she's a lesbian.
0: Is this because I'm a lesbian? No, she's not
2: not Not
1: a lesbian. All
2: right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Law & Order, Season 11, Episode 8, Thin Ice. Well, some people will do anything to get a parking spot. (laughs) A mom calls 911 after finding a man beaten to death in a garage. The parking attendant said no one else was around early Saturday morning when Russell Kreider was beaten to death.
0: M.E. figures the assailant stomped him while he was on the ground. His cheek and jaw were broken by blunt force, probably not a fist. And no one heard anything? Third floor of a garage on a Saturday morning is pretty deserted. Any prints from the car? So far, no hits.
1: When did the M.E. say this happened?
0: preliminary report puts it somewhere between 7 and 8.30.
1: On a Saturday morning, so... What is
2: this victim, an early bird or a party animal? Briscoe and Green discover Kreider was a youth hockey coach who just left an early morning practice. They learn a second 911 call came in from somebody who probably saw the assault go down. The police department audio analyst says the voice print is that of a teenager. The detectives start quizzing the hockey players about who might have had a beef with the coach. A kid with all of his teeth... You haven't watched any hockey? Okay, all (laughs) All of his teeth says some guys have been griping about not getting enough playing time. They get a warrant for Keith Taylor's house and find a hockey stick with the coach's blood on it. Then get a digital voice match with the 911 call. They charge Keith with the murder and his attorney says the fight was self-defense. Carmichael looks into why there was bad blood between them and find out that Ken's father, Ray convinced some scouts to come to the game, but the coach benched him for rough play. She also learns Ray was a hothead who screamed at kids and argued with parents. McCoy invites father and son to a conference where he says he'll charge Keith as an adult and seek hard time, and that's when Ray confesses it was he who beat the coach to death. All right, so Briscoe and Green start by asking the assistant hockey coach, about Kreider being stomped to death.
5: He was a great guy. He loved coaching. You know, him and Carmen had a hard time having kids, and the hockey sort of made up for that. Oh, jeez. Who's going to tell the team?
2: Who's going to tell the team? (laughs) You mean uh, tell them you just got promoted? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, kids. kids. (laughs) Gather around. I'm the boss now. Yeah. (laughs) before we play everybody turning in your hockey stick (laughs) by the way coach and i guess i can call you that now uh, i'm sure at least one player is already aware that he's dead so (laughs) your job just got a lot easier (laughs) (laughs) because i've got some bad news you look around like who already seems to know (laughs) yeah that's actually a really good point who's slouching
4: a bit in practice today Yeah. It's like something from a Charlie Chan movie. You know, as (laughs) I brought you all here. (laughs) Hey, everyone, I've got a killer idea for today's practice. And whoever looks up, there you go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Any idea why the coach isn't here? Any idea? (laughs) I know.
4: Anybody want to beat me to the punch and answer this question? Anyone?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, The 911 operator says that he can't trace the call because of these
4: cheap, cell phones. Uh, they, I think they say Sprint, right? They actually say Sprint is too cheap to pay for it. That's what I remember, at least. They, Sprint still is, so
2: <laughs> not much has changed in 20 years. Uh, but they do have a recording of the call, which is all staticky. You
5: gotta send ambulance. What's your emergency, please? There's a He's bleeding. Where are you calling from, sir? Sir, I can barely hear you.
2: The sound quality sucks, but it's still better than that Meghan Markle podcast.
5: <laughs> Touche.
3: That's very good, Kevin.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty
3: Someone's listening to one of my side projects. <laughs> the celebrity
2: podcast podcast. Correct.
3: Yes, yes. yes. And it was very embarrassing the sound quality on that. I have a question. Yeah. How lazy are New Yorkers that literally everybody thinks 8.30 is early in the morning (laughs) on a Saturday? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is like, "Whoa!" between 7 and 8.30 on a Saturday. Saturday. You guys are some early ass risers. I'm like, what is the matter with you people? The sun is up at 8.30 (laughs) in the morning.
4: (laughs) That's when I'm in bed reading The Atlantic and going through (laughs) my thoughts about the week. (laughs) i'm so glad that you mentioned the voice print that they had to get because this episode carries one of my favorite law and order tropes which is the nerdy tech person who works in the police department there's just an endless supply of people with chunky glasses who are there always to give you curt answers to your questions about tech and inevitably they always say it's an 80% match it's an 80% match. This, yeah, guy, yeah. this guy actually does eventually say it's a perfect match for the killer's voice. But I just, yeah. I always think of it as sort of like a giant empty concrete pool just filled with these folks. And then every now and then they're like, come on up. We got a, we got a case for you. And they're like, well, okay. Anyway, I just love <laughs> yeah. it when these when these people appear.
2: Yeah. If if you're a the police department audio analyst technician and you pull the Saturday morning shift, <laughs> yeah. you're probably not that good.
4: <laughs> That's a great. He's
3: like, I'm going to stop editing my podcast now and help you out That's with it.
4: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's 9.15 on a Saturday. I'm. You should be grateful I'm even here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I could be at home reading The Atlantic.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is Ross Perot up to now? <laughs> yeah, but talk about some bullshit
2: pseudoscience. They add a bunch of filtration and processing to change the way the audio sounds.
5: There's a guy. He's bleeding. Where are you calling from, sir? Parking garage. West Side Rink. Sir. I can barely hear you. Look, I'm sorry. West side rink.
2: And they're now like, well, let's see if we can match it exactly to your voice from this professional recording studio. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Perfect. Perfect match.
3: Horrible acting on the 911 operator side. eh? (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that? What is your emergency?
2: (laughs) Sir, sir. If you're the 911 operator for early Saturday morning, too, you're probably not that good either. That's right.
4: It sounded like maybe they got someone in the casting. Office to do the temporary audio and then they just never got around to fixing it. They were like, it's all right, Jamie, Jamie's voice will do. Oh
2: no, the the union would never let that. (laughs) You're right. You're right. You're right. right. Well, there are three amigos who are the bullies on the team. Yes. And so these are the ones that have been complaining about the ice time. And so Briscoe and Green go to talk to the principal at their school.
4: (laughs) You know how jocks get like they own the world and nobody better get in their way. I was in the chess club.
2: (laughs) That's right, nerd. Yeah.
4: I also feel like they said to that actor, play it gayer. Gayer and more gay and more bitter. Go, go, more. I don't know. He's like, oh, no, there were no cheerleaders to finger bang for the chess club. (laughs) (laughs) All I had to do was develop a personality and a worldview. (laughs)
1: You know,
2: whoever controls those four center squares controls the game.
4: (laughs) But the jocks wouldn't know about that, would they? They're too busy having everything handed to them. They don't even subscribe to the Atlantic. Yeah, (laughs) They don't have to have a vibrator in their (laughs) butt to know which
2: moves to make.
3: (laughs) Oh man, Uh, people who don't understand the the scandal of the day won't even get that joke, Kevin.
2: It's a very
3: highbrow joke. (laughs) Geez, people are going to be Googling it now. What is Kevin talking about?
4: It's not that (laughs) highbrow. Well, listen, I say this as a gay man on the panel today. That actor was hilariously queenie to me. And it really (laughs) felt like they said, no, 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 it's not stereotypical enough. Remember, you hate the jocks. I just, it was, it was great.
3: They put your head in a toilet and flushed it in high school. Remember, right. just, just channel that. Channel that energy.
2: Okay, like remember wedgies and action. <laughs> so we have a couple of Hey, It's That Guys. Hey, It's That Guy. Can you name the actor playing defense attorney Al Archer? You mean not Ron Silver? Not Ron Silver.
4: (laughs) And here we have a 46-year-old family man, a man without any prior criminal record, who savagely attacks the coach of his 16-year-old son's hockey team.
3: That's Dennis Buzikaris.
4: Yeah. Yes.
2: 11 Law & Order Universe appearances for the trifecta. Most recently, he has been seen as Rich Schweiker on Better Call Saul. Yes. Has recurring roles in Billions, Quantico ER, and Batteries Not Included. Remember that movie? With Jessica Tandy. Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. I just call him not Ron Silver. Because legit, every time he walks on the screen, I'm like, oh, it's Ron Silver. Oh, wait, no, it's not.
2: (laughs) Uh, he is often cast as villains. He was the evil CFO in Money Monster, huh. the evil pharmaceutical executive in The Born Legacy, and the ultimate evil. He played Woody Allen in Love and Betrayal, the Mia Farrow story. <laughs> wow! I can't really see him doing a Woody Allen impression, but all right. All he has
3: to do is get cast as Ron Silver. Now it'll be perfect.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've got a repeat offender. Repeat
0: offender.
2: Playing ringleader Keith Taylor
4: is who? Jeffrey Wigdor. Well, he was hitting him. My dad was. And I I grabbed him and I I still had my stick. And he took it and and he hit coach. You'll
2: remember him from the SVU Pregnancy Pact episode called Babes. He played the culturally problematic white DJ Dizzer. He did. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? His motto was "wrecking decks and getting sex."
3: He didn't have the frosted tips in that episode, though. They like, had. I don't one. know.
2: He was wearing a hat sideways That's and right. talking to ice tea in a That's way that right. if I had talked about it, it'd be the last episode it of the was, show. It was appropriation, let's yeah. put it that way. Wrecking decks and getting sex, yes. being a rapper and getting snapper. Yes. We had a million of them. Yeah, i just leave did. them there. Yeah, okay? You did. We also get to see somebody before they were famous. Mm.
1: Before they were famous.
2: Making his primetime television debut as youth hockey player and narc
4: is... Who, Mark? Jesse McCartney.
1: You see, the coach always
3: played everybody, even the kids that weren't so good. And I guess the guys from Walcott weren't too cool with that.
2: Yeah, he's also a repeat offender. We've had him on that same show, the Pregnancy Pack show. Really? He was the boy who didn't get sex. Okay. So, yeah,
4: right. He was right. not wrecking any decks or getting any sex. No. Okay. No. Uh, he got hampered trying to get snappered. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, you remember he was like the head of the chastity club? Yeah, 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 Who doesn't love the chastity club? <laughs> the chess club even beats the, chess the chastity club, yeah. club up. Yeah. At least there's a chance we can finger bang something. <laughs> <chess> right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, who's the guy playing Josh Fielder, the hockey player who explained all about the scrubs and whatnot? The scrubs. We were
4: so close to making the playoffs, but Coach went to the scrubs. I mean, the kids that weren't any good.
2: Yeah, that is Nick Tyler, Not sure how he got the part in this episode, but he is the son of Law & Order producer Lewis Gould. Oh, not sure.
4: Couldn't couldn't hurt, certainly. Yeah.
2: I'm sure he's like, Dad, if Jerry Orbach's son can be on SVU, why can't I move some (laughs) boxes on Law & Order? (laughs) Uh, He was one of the five top finalists for PETA's Sexiest Vegetarian Next Door Contest in 2011. He was robbed. He should have won. Yeah, yeah. He lost to a stockbroker. <laughs> okay. Who didn't like meat.
3: He probably had more money.
2: Probably had more money. <laughs> I know the residuals from episode Thin Ice keep rolling in.
4: <laughs> I was able to buy half of a Beyond Burger with the residuals
1: from this episode. <laughs>
4: <laughs> By the
2: way, can you tell me the name of the actor playing Bertram Dobbs, Keith's lawyer?
0: A man and a boy get into an argument, Pursued or not. The man's supposed to be mature enough to end it before it gets physical.
4: Well, that's George Goodall, I believe. I may be mispronouncing yes. it,
2: though. Uh, yeah, this is the second last time he's ever been on the screen, but he is an award-winning audiobook narrator. Huh. Yeah, in fact, he's done over 1,300 books. I think that is the record.
5: Chapter 1, Jalalabad, Afghanistan. The four dead men were lined up on the living room floor of the safe house.
2: I
3: want that gig so
2: badly. Yeah. So he's done Dune, all of the Vince Flynn books, all of the Stephen King Dark Tower books. I Know This Much Is True, American Gods. Rebecca, I checked. You have 432 audiobooks in your library. Yes. And he has done none of them. Whoa.
3: That sounds about right. I have a ton of Scott Brick books, though, in my library.
2: <laughs> I don't know who does that.
3: <laughs> Scott Brick. He's a, he's a very prolific audio Oh, he is. Can yes. you
2: do an impression?
3: Yes. He sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, so do you know the actress playing the patrol woman who walks
4: into the crime scene at the beginning?
3: No. The lady who called it not said she didn't see anything.
5: What
4: time was the call?
2: About 830.
4: Is that Nancy Tickerton?
2: Yes, it is. Wow. Yes, Jesus.
4: because she's been on. She's been on a lot of Law and Orders. <laughs> <I'm>, I, yeah, <laughs> fifteen Law and Order <laughs> universe appearances on four different
2: franchises. By the way, she st- spent six of those episodes in the two seven as Detective Rihanna Perez. That huh. season's Profaci. Oh, mm, Profaci. <laughs> uh, more importantly, she would return to play Cesario Amaro, Nick Amaro's mother. Oh, Nick Amaro's poor mother. Yeah. So if you see her, you can shake her really hard and say, that's what you get for smoking while pregnant. <laughs> <sighs> so lastly, did you catch the guy playing hockey dad and our defendant, Ray Taylor?
5: No. No. All I can say is that when Keith told me about missing the game, knowing that the scouts would be there, it was like something went off inside my head.
2: That is the almost famous Harley Venton. Uh, he was the finalist for the role of David Addison in ABC's Moonlighting. Oh. Really? He was mm. almost Bruce Willis? Yeah. Sybil Shepard wanted Venton. The producer wanted Bruce Willis. And as we know, the two of them fucking hated each other.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. So I
2: love that show. The It's one of the OG will they, won't they. Yeah. They did and it ruined the show shows.
3: Yeah. Well. They really did hate each other, though, right?
2: They did, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, they was... <laughs> I read... They had to measure how far apart each of their trailers was from the set, and it had to be the same. Oh, man. Otherwise, they'd get mad. It was... Uh, wow. It was pretty intense, yeah. Yeah. But look, if, if uh, you know, Sybil Shepherd had his way, then Harlan E. Venton might have been the one saying, Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! <laughs> So Briscoe and Green get a search warrant for Keith Taylor's house, and they look in the closet, and they find a hockey stick covered with blood on the grip.
5: What are you people looking for? Hey, Lenny. These belong to your son? I guess. Take a look at the top of this one. What is it? My son did not do anything. Looks like it could be blood.
2: Here's an idea don't bring the murder weapon (laughs) Yeah,
4: Because it's not like that there was just a little blood that you would need a microscope to see. It was like someone had taken beet juice and poured it on that thing. Like, hey, how how expensive are these (laughs) hockey sticks that you
2: can't throw one out and go to sports authority and get another one? You can also, by the way, just take the
3: tape off and retake the the fucking thing.
1: It was (laughs) just,
4: how expensive is the tape that they're like, no, no, your grandmother didn't survive the depression for us to waste good tape?
2: (laughs) So like, you're just going to show up but the next practice after everybody knows the coach was beaten to death yes. and you've got blood all on your hockey stick. Yes. That's like Robert Redford in The Natural showing up at the game and there's blood all over Wonder Boy. <laughs> Pick me a winner, Bobby. Yep. Uh, you know, these kids really aren't hockey players because their hair is too good. Yes. Dad's,
3: however, not great.
2: With the ponytail. The ponytail, Correct. yeah. Yeah. But the mullet, there was no mullets. Everybody had I'm teeth. sorry.
3: The lawyer had a mullet. There's a lot of hockey hair happening with the non-hockey it's people not, in yeah, the show. That's
4: interesting.
3: Lawyer had hockey hair. McCoy had a slightly hockey hair mm. situation going on in this episode. None of the kids. You
4: know who else had hockey hair was the father of the other kid who was mad mm. that kids don't learn how to compete these days. He had hockey hair, too.
3: Correct. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That
2: next generation.
3: Kids these days aren't willing to put in the, the work and get that hockey hair
2: going. Yeah. Speaking of rough hockey players, Abby Carmichael goes to that assistant coach, who, by the way, is now is the coach. Yes. And she asks,
0: why didn't you tell the police about this? Because
4: I never imagined kicking a
2: kid out of a hockey practice could lead to a man getting killed. That would be the first thing I told the cops. Right? You have the motivation to kill him, coach. Right. Why don't you just throw somebody else under the bus? Yeah, Seriously. <laughs>
4: that's <laughs> true did anybody else notice how convenient it was that the dad who had been roughed up in the stands happened to think oh, let me grab a video of this not exactly a cover photo for parent magazine i i while i'm well i'm getting assaulted i typically am not pulling out my my clunky camcorder to say like let me just hold on yell into this
3: I was like, he must be a libertarian. (laughs) That's what they always do. They film everything. Yeah.
2: Yeah, The the setup is that Ray Taylor got in the face of another parent because that kid, like, gave up a goal. And the father says, you I got the whole thing on tape. And then we see the tape. And it's shot from above the goal. And then it pans over. To that father. Right. Somebody else was taking that video. Yes. Who was like, oh, there's some, I better get this action. Right. Yeah. And
3: he he went to that parent and he was like, can I have your tape?
0: Yeah, that's not actually your video. (laughs) (laughs) Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and VR training platforms, like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International, are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact.
2: Alright, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Abby arraigns Ray Taylor for the coach's murder. His defense attorney says he's going to enter an insanity plea, saying he suffers from Sports rage.
0: Evidence of a mental disease will be offered to show that at the time of the offense the defendant lacked capacity to appreciate the consequences of his conduct. And basically he's saying he was angry. I don't know what's
2: worse of
1: this or the Twinkie defense.
2: The
0: Twinkie defense worked. On the
2: stand, Keith says his dad threw the first punch, then jabbed the coach with the hockey stick and kicked him while he was down. The defense's psychologist says Ray's disassociative state during the attack shows He was unaware of the consequences of his actions. McCoy asks, well, what if he's just an asshole? (laughs) (laughs) On the stand, Keith says he didn't remember what happened. On cross, Jack points out that he lied to the police and was willing to let his son take the fall. At closing, the defense tells the jury it took years to recognize PTSD and battered women's syndrome, and so it will be with sports rage. McCoy says it's a weak excuse for bad behavior. The jury convicts him, and in the spirit of winning, Abby and Jack high-five each other, then spray each other with champagne. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) All right, well, we know that the first half of Law & Order is a murder mystery, and the second half is a moral mystery. In this case, it's more like one-third murder mystery. I would say this is not a fantastic episode. When McCoy and Carmichael show up in the 15th minute of the episode, and the trial includes closing arguments for both sides you get the feeling they wrote 39 minutes of television for 42 minutes of airtime Mm. we also
3: didn't get a lot of payoff to like a very important part of the story Mm -hmm. we hear at the beginning that these three kids keith and his two friends are super dick bullies we see zero evidence of that keith is super nice the entire time we see him on screen he makes the 911 call when the dude's in trouble he cries the minute his dad starts to confess, he's like as like clearly has a wonderful relationship with his parents. Like we get zero evidence of like any of the stuff we are told any of the time. So it's like it's like they cut stuff. I don't know if they did only wrote that much. I feel like they cut too much. And then oh, they they, like,
2: there was nothing to cut.
3: What else do we have to put in here? I agree with you. It's a lot of missing
4: pieces. Yeah. In my opinion. Agreed.
3: Like that whole side plot we usually go on, like the misdirection plot, like isn't here at all.
4: Well, also, I felt like even the way that they handled the early, early misdirection of the gate attendant was so awkward. He yep. just, oh, I just went down to buy a lottery ticket. O- okay. I-, I don't know. There was just something that was so rapidly dispensed with, and there was, I-, I just, all of it felt very rushed to me. I think that's correct.
2: I will say that I don't think they actually made a good case about quote-unquote sports rage oftentimes in law and order they'll come up with a unique uh defense they'll say something there was one like say oh no he's a racist he has a mental illness and they make a case for that and you kind of understand the legal logic to it even if you don't agree with it at all right in this case i don't feel like they really made a great case for for the rest of us going oh yeah i mean they say yeah parents get crazy out there yeah they don't really kind of I don't know. They had an expert come on. I just didn't feel like.
4: Oh, maybe this is a winning defense. Argument. They
3: just described men. Basically. Yeah. They <laughs> <know>. <laughs> well,
4: and there have been so many episodes of this show that deal so well with the way that fathers can warp their children. Um, yeah. I can't remember the exact episode, but there's one where the kid has got all of these swords that he uses to hack up a dummy in the in the storage room of yes. their building. Yes. Yes, that to me was what this episode was aiming for in terms of the complexity of the father son dynamic. And it didn't get there. And you're right, Rebecca, that the kid immediately starts to cry and be sad. And sure, I I would probably do that, too. But they set him up to be something very different than that.
3: Yeah, they don't have to be like a, like a devil, a devil child who like pushes everybody around. It's also a weird. like, There's a lot of holes like this. So mm-hmm. that the principal basically says he's not a good hockey player. He just thinks he is, right? Right. But the kid thinks if How all these... How would a
2: chess f- club guy know what true. a good hockey player <laughs> <Yeah>, is? <laughs> that's right. true.
3: But the, the kid, the family seems to think if all these scouts come, it's going to mean his whole career. So like, are the stakes high? Aren't they high? As a viewer, you don't really get a sense of whether or not the stakes were actually very high.
2: Pro scouts don't come to a rec league. That's right. Yeah. It's like a and lot like- of...
3: Weird shit like that. You're
2: like, oh, we're looking for a goon enforcer for our our uh, AHL team right. in Saskatchewan. Plus,
3: like, there was a 12-year-old kid playing with a high school kid. Yeah. It was a very inconsistent. And did you see that the speed of play in that video? It did not exactly yeah. look like a highly competitive <laughs> No, no, no. Game.
2: It, it reminded me of that video uh, from Russia where they showed Putin scoring a goal. <laughs> and the goaltender just falls down because, you know, if I block this, I'm f- going to Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> So Abby does get a couple of lines that have more than one sentence.
0: Courts have compelled incriminating evidence from suspects based on far less than what the people have provided here. We take blood, hair samples, fingerprints all the time. We compel lineups. I just don't see the difference.
2: Uh, this is notable because by this point in her career, the writers had eased up on her dialogue because Angie Harmon could never remember her lines. What? Oh, really? Yeah. Why? That was the thing. Oh, you know. She was bad with the lines. If it was anything that had excessive legal jargon, they started rolling back
4: I on that. I don't like hearing about this. That makes me she sad. Was excellent
3: on Rosolian Isles. Yes, yeah, she had- Oh, s- is that worse?
4: <laughs> she had speeches on Rosolian Isles. I'm almost positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they probably had a
2: little- thing in her ear and they were just dictating it and she was saying it out loud. Is that really worse than hearing that Michael Moriarty had to look people into a pie plate instead of looking people in the eye? (laughs) No, but
3: I also don't understand it. Also, It doesn't ring true to me. I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds like something you would say about somebody that you wanted to fire for a different reason, Mm. in my opinion.
2: Well, she didn't get fired. She just walked away.
3: Hmm.
2: Because she's a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) She's
3: not. Didn't she marry that football player dude?
2: Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She did. (laughs) Because Ray is going to use an insanity defense. Lewin wants him examined by Skoda. Skoda.
1: Skoda, 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 Skoda.
2: It never gets old for me. But McCoy says, look, I don't want this trial to be about experts. I'm not gonna call him. Meantime, I'm sure they bring in Officer Ira Glass to talk about the vocal print. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't have the expert that everybody will no. <laughs> know. I'll just read his report.
3: Yeah. I actually agree with this strategy because that defense was stupid. Yeah. And if you bring up your own expert to counter that defense, you are acknowledging that there might be a defense. I think it's actually a smart thing to just say, no, we all know that that is stupid. And you're basically just describing the behavior of every cis white guy at a football game. This is really stupid your and, honor
2: will you instruct the jury that this defense is bullshit
3: would you it, it would it would be like it's like when you're arguing with somebody and you're just like I'm not even going to acknowledge that with a reply <laughs>
4: <laughs> which works out so well in court <laughs> you know another thing that was striking about the expert that they did put on the stand was that all McCoy had to ask was if the defendant's dissociation began after the fatal blow would he be responsible for his crime
5: yes He'd be responsible. Nothing further.
4: And the expert was like, oh, <laughs> he didn't even say anything. And I just think, wow, this defense attorney is not really earning his fee if he didn't think to prep that particular question before the guy got on the stand,
3: <laughs> Right. Or is this a condition that is in the DSM? It's being...
4: Considered. <laughs> yeah. It's being by considered.
3: Me. <laughs> I'm not even on the committee that's writing the book, but whatever.
4: <laughs> I'm writing a postcard. If you look on the back of this Denny's menu, you'll see that I've written out a note explaining that it should be included. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he says, like things like the uh, PTSD and what at the time they called a battered woman syndrome. Uh-huh. These were things that weren't identified. And codified at some point, but they are now. Yes. And I thought, yeah, well, Sports rage. what about CTE? Yep. At the time, Mm -hmm. in 2000, 2001, we didn't know anything about CTE. True. And if, let's say, that Ray, you know, had gotten hit in the head several times playing hockey as a young man— might there be a defense here? Mm. There
3: was just an episode about that.
2: Mm. Right. On SVU. I mean, he'd have to be dead in order to, you know, diagnose it when they look at his brain, but...
3: Maybe. Maybe, Mm. maybe not. All right. That being said, he still did murder a man with a hockey stick in a garage. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Over over a hockey game, being not having his son played in. I mean, come on.
2: So in the closing scene, we have seen this a million times before, back at the DA's office. worked so hard to see his boy succeed.
3: Ends up having to watch it all through prison bars.
2: Nothing like winning. They celebrate with these lead crystal glasses filled with scotch. And McCoy has one. And Lewin has one. And Carmichael is holding a pint of glass with draft beer. Yes! <laughs> a pint glass. Is there a kegerator <laughs> at the DA's office? That's what I was wondering.
3: They have beer and beer glasses? <laughs>
2: HR has got to be aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> Like the DA, like he he or she will have this thing of scotch, but you know it's like in one of those cases that look like two hardcover books yeah. that are kind of hidden and you open it up real careful and discreet. She just got like, all right, I went down. I would, maybe she went down to the bar, came up, said, so I got my own glass, just fill it up, like going to Dunkin' Donuts, just fill up my own glass, I'll take it with me.
3: Yeah. I remember she's got a mini fridge in her office, but still, that's that was something. That was a visual.
4: I'd like to think that she has a, a steel keg with a plastic lay on it that she brought from some party. <laughs> Carmichael shouldn't just be
0: having scotch. he should be having a cigar, too. <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and... Producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of
4: avoidable blindness.
0: He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com metaverseimpact.
2: All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip From The Headline. Think you, know who did you it. think you know who
5: did it, but you don't know who did it. You don't know
1: who did it.
5: Rip from the headlines. This episode is inspired by the 2000 case of Michael Costin. The Linfield, Massachusetts man was a volunteer hockey referee watching over a practice of youth players. While the drills were supposed to be non-contact, some of the players began checking one another. The rough housing upset Thomas Junter, who was watching his son play from the stands. He argued with Kostin after his son was hit in the face. The rink manager had to throw Junta out of the building, but after practice, Junta returned and pummeled the much smaller Kostin when he left the ice. He beat the referee unconscious in front of three dozen children. The attack ruptured an artery in Kostin's neck. After several days in a coma, he was taken off life support. The attack symbolised the growing problem of parental violence in youth sports. At trial in 2002, Junta claimed he acted in self-defence. But witnesses said he pinned Costin into the ground before the beating. The jury convicted him on a lesser charge of involuntary manslaughter, and the judge sentenced him to six to ten years in prison. He served eight years before being released in 2010. Thomas Junter died of cancer in December
0: 2020.
2: So the latest fatality in youth sports happened in Dallas in August. The brother of former NFL player Aqib Talib allegedly shot an opposing coach five times after a late touchdown at a scrimmage for nine-year-olds. A scrimmage, which is not even a game, for nine-year-olds. Wow. Wow.
3: Yeah, wow, right? That was in Texas. But I wasn't surprised <laughs> at all to hear about this hockey thing being in Massachusetts. I'm not going to lie. As soon as I said Linfield, I was like, Massachusetts. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, an academic study found uh, the three leading causes of parental violence in sports are emotional attachment to the child. Either you're feeling protective of your kid. You think something happens to him or her on the field uh, or that you're now like living vicariously through the child, your own sports memories and whatnot. Also, the financial investment mm-hmm. takes a lot of money to get the equipment if you're on travel teams, things like that, and the lack of knowledge about the sport and its etiquette about how you're supposed to behave, that kind of thing, a reason surprisingly not in the study being an asshole
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, do these ring true for you Kevin you are a uh, baseball umpire do you see this when you uh, umpire baseball yeah you know
2: there's there is some of that uh since 2018 mark 50,000 referees and umpires have quit officiating because of verbal or physical abuse from coaches and parents so can you play ball without officials
4: um I guess it becomes like Calvin Ball, if you remember that sport from the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip, which is just that there are no rules and everyone runs around as fast as they can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do kind of blame in no small part the culture
2: of the sports, of the sports that we created Mm -hmm. within the sport. So like fistfights in basketball are not common. But in baseball, if there's a fight, what happens? Everyone clears the bench. And it's a big – and nobody really throws a punch. They just kind of shove each other around. In hockey, though, if you can start a fight, you just go to the penalty box for five minutes and then come back out. Somebody else has a fight and you just keep going on. I blame baseball because I am an umpire, as Rebecca alluded to. Yelling at the umpire, going out and confronting the umpire is something that has been normalized by 100 years of radio and television coverage. We think you're supposed to yell, kill the ump. Your manager's supposed to run out and argue until you get ejected. That's part of the culture and it's yeah. wrong.
3: Well, Billy Martin did it how many times? Like ten million oh, times. Yeah,
2: and then kicks dirt and you know, <laughs> yeah, it's entertaining. Yeah, but that's isn't that the lesson that kids learn and then they grow up and their parents and their coaches and they do the same thing and they yeah absolutely yeah.
3: But can I just ask you like a sports technical question? Yeah, and this is like maybe off track. Is the thing, because in basketball, like, you have foul system that, like, when you commit that many, like, you cannot play anymore. Is that why there are fewer, like, fights in basketball, you think? Than in hockey? Yeah.
2: When it's like...
3: (laughs) It's like you sit out for five a minutes. consequence for
2: fighting is built into the actual <laughs> exactly. rules of the game. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
3: And in basketball, it's like you're ejected. You yeah. can't play anymore.
2: And in the rules of baseball, you can't argue balls and strikes. Right. Right. That's part of the and people violate that. But right. it's sort of like we have created rules around bad behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Wild. Are you a big Mark, you a big sports fan, Mark? Uh, my sport getting, is... Were you in chess club? Is that what you're going to say? My my
4: sport is the Oscars, which until last year didn't really involve much <laughs> physical violence. But, uh.
2: <laughs> well, let talk about some of my favorite sports violence stories. Maybe this is... <laughs> can't say favorite, but the most surprising to me, South Brunswick, New Jersey parents got into a fist fight after a nine-year-old girl's soccer game ended in a tie. Wow. Wow. In Philadelphia, a dad pulled a gun on a football coach because he thought his six-year-old wasn't getting enough playing time. Wow. In Staten Island, a father hit a hockey coach in the face with two sticks because his 11-year-old hadn't improved during the season. Staten Island. A Pennsylvania police officer paid a 10-year-old pitcher $2 to hit a batter with a fastball. I can't imagine a 10-year-old fastball. Hard (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Having umped in 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 Virginia, a mother ran onto the field to confront a 14-year-old youth hockey referee and then slapped him in the face. And then she yelled, keep my kid's name out (laughs) your fucking mouth. (laughs) She did not. And it's going to do it for us. We want to thank our special guest, Mark Blankenship. Mark, how can our listeners follow you online?
4: Oh, the best way to find me is on Twitter and Instagram at I am Blankenship. Uh, There you can find my musings, my images and links to my writing. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh,
3: you can find me everywhere. All of my sports commentary, <laughs> of which there is none,
2: uh, at Reb Lavoy. You know what I say before I eject someone? Mark, I'm like you didn't like that last call. You're not gonna like this one. <laughs> You're <gone!
1: laughs> There it is.
2: That's that. Yeah. That's that wit that we look for on the field. Uh, You can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You also can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy, Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to LawAndOrderPodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners
0: Partners in in Crime Media.